You're listening to Hire Through Retire, a health and wealth podcast with FOIA leaders, Bill Harmon and Heather Lavalle, tackling all things from 401ks to HSAs and everything in between. We're talking to the best and brightest in the industry to bring you the latest in health, wealth, and investment trends in the workplace. Come along with us on our journey to help all Americans become well-planned, well-invested, and well-protected. Welcome back to Hire Through Retire, a health and wealth podcast. Here today again with my friend, colleague, and co-host, Heather Lavalle. Hey, Heather. Hey, Bill. Happy to be back with, uh, with you today. You know, we're, we're entering into an important season ahead of us for many employers and individuals, and, and that's the open enrollment season. Now, we know this year more than ever is going to be different as research shows that many are now looking to their employer more than ever before for their health and wealth needs. To help support employers who might be wondering about the new landscape of offerings out there, we thought we'd call on the pros for some help. Joining us today is an incredible guest from the Employee Benefit Research Institute, or as many of you know it, eBRI. We'd like to welcome to the pod, Paul Fronston, Director of Health Research Program at eBRI, who specializes in the research agenda, which includes trends in employment-based health benefits, employee benefits, HSAs, workplace wellness programs, and so much more. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, we we appreciate it, Paul. And, and, uh, you know, so I'm going to kind of jump right in because you have got a wealth of knowledge. So we're here today to talk a little bit about workplace wellness trends. And while I know you have some new uh, surveys coming out in the coming months, why don't we start with a broad but really important question? What's different this year as a result of COVID? And how is this going to impact both employers and employees? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that perhaps the biggest difference this year is related to telemedicine, uh, and, and you know, recognizing that that some workers already had a telemedicine benefit prior to the pandemic, but many of them didn't know about it. For many workers, that benefit was added either in late 2020 or in 2021, and they still may not have noticed it. The longer these benefits, whether it's telemedicine or anything else, is you know the longer these benefits have been around, the more people take notice of them. Uh, so hopefully, going into uh, if workers weren't already aware of these benefits, they'll become more aware of them during this open enrollment. And even in cases where workers already had access to a telemedicine benefit, those benefits have become better. So, for instance, instead of simply using a third-party service, you can now see your own doctor through telemedicine, which I think is very valuable uh, to workers and their families. Do you see that there's a place to be making those decisions, uh, those individual enrollment decisions, in a complementary manner? Meaning, you know, I get this particular health benefit because it can actually help me protect my savings account, so I don't have to draw down from that when something comes up. Yeah, even with HSAs. You have so few people who invest the money, right? So you have to conclude that there are very few who are thinking about that money as a retirement savings vehicle. You know, a lot of people don't tap their account, but you know, a lot of people don't tap it because they don't use healthcare, not because they're saving it for the future, right? You got your 80-20 rule in healthcare, 20% of the population use 80% of the healthcare, which means 80% of the population use next to no healthcare. So they're not going to tap their account, yet they're still not investing it. We do find that the longer people have had an HSA, the more likely they are to invest, the more money they put in. 
So they, you know, it takes a couple of years before they start to understand how it works and what, what the true benefits are, you know, from it. But you still don't see large numbers, right? Even after having an HSA for 10 years, only 10% or 13% of those people invest. You know, you, you mentioned we were talking about open enrollment season and the, the stat that always sticks out is that the average employee has 17 different benefits decisions and they spend about 18 minutes um, making those decisions. But the first decision is the one you just described is that, should I go into the PPO or HMO or should I go into the high deductible health plan? And there's a big premium out-of-pocket difference um, between the two. One thing you mentioned is that about 80% of claims come from about 20% of the employees. And if that's true, that means that there's many that are probably overinsured, meaning that they could be in a, if they're in a PPO plan and just you know, paying the premium but not utilizing it. But the same point, good point that you made that, well, if I'm in a high deductible health plan, I'm concerned that maybe I can't afford a claim that would now fall under the deductible. But could you protect some of those maybe with different supplemental health benefits like critical illness or hospital indemnity or maybe accident benefits, things that would typically go towards the deductible? And those are inexpensive coverages to take care of that concern. Yeah, health benefits have become more and more complex when it comes to choosing the right plan. And everybody wants to get that decision right. Fortunately, if you get it wrong, you only have to live with your choice for a year, right? You'll know pretty quickly, though circumstances change and the plan you chose that was the wrong plan, maybe the right plan for you the next year, right? That's some of the complication as well. And you're right, 20% of the population account for 80% of the spending, which means 80% of the population accounts for 20%, 80% of the population, most of the population use no or next to no healthcare. So it really is important that people look at the plan choices and what would make, you know, to the degree they have choices and what would make the most sense. Uh, at Ivory, we're a small business. We're covered by, because we're located in Washington, D.C., we have to get our health benefits through the small business exchange in D.C. We're offered 60 different health plans. We're offered more health plans than we have employees at Ivory. Uh, and even as somebody who lives and breathes this, I find it sometimes overwhelming uh, with the number of choices there's some great tools and resources on the website that help me narrow it down. Uh, but I would think that, you know, the average person that doesn't live and breathe this would have a difficult time. And then you add in other voluntary benefits that would help fill in the gaps like you know, accident insurance, cancer, critical care insurance. And those certainly are things that, that people should be considering because it, it can help their situation. You know, there, there's no way to give one piece of advice because everybody's situation is different. Paul, I was going to pick up a little bit on the exchange that you and Bill just had and, and curious whether you and uh, Ebri has a point on this. The idea of having employers potentially include other coverages, you talked about the diabetes with the insulin. Does Ebri have a sense um, yet on what, if, if those different uh, coverages are included, what that could do on on the potential out-of-pocket costs for actual employees who might otherwise had to pay for those um, those care. You know, again, I, I'll go back to the example of insulin as well as the cost of the employer. Or is that something Ebris uh, starting to do a little bit of research on uh, in that space? We actually have a survey in progress to get a better sense of how many employers have adopted these these provisions that the IRS now allows them to. There's no doubt that. If you enhance the benefit for workers with chronic conditions, they're going to see their costs go down. 
because uh, they're the one that's where the spending is, right? It, it is with people with with uh, diabetes and heart disease and and hypertension, mental health care, um, you know, COPD and asthma, musculoskeletal as well. So to the degree you know you could help anybody with a chronic condition reduce their their spending for you know healthcare services, I, you know they're going to realize that. And there's other benefits as well. We've seen that when you reduce cost sharing for things like diabetes drugs, uh, medication adherence goes up and complications go down. So there, the other benefits are that you potentially keep people out of the hospital, uh, which is good for them. That keeps their costs down, but it's also good for you as an employer because it keeps people at work and they're healthy. And ultimately, that's what you want your health benefit to do is to you know improve the health the outcomes of your working population so that they're more productive and paul our audience may, may be less familiar with can you kind of share with us what are those 14 uh different uh exclusions right now that the irs is now allowing them if you, if you don't mind kind of rattling those off for our listeners oh i wish i could you know you really put me on the spot with remembering all 14. uh there's a number of medications that are allowed not just related to diabetes, but um, related to um, uh, heart conditions, uh, blood pressure, high blood pressure is one. Another service is you could, you could um, now cover a, a blood pressure monitor for people with high blood pressure, and you could cover an annual eye exam for people with diabetes. That's considered a high-valued service. The issue before this, this guidance was released was that HSA plans couldn't cover services outside the deductible that treated chronic conditions. And all the things we're talking about here are related to chronic conditions. But the commonality of these 14 services is that they're preventive in nature in the sense that if you get people to comply and it, or adhere with a medication, uh, it prevents the, the worsening of a condition, right? So that, you know, they're called secondary preventive services instead of primary preventive services. No, it's a great point. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot on that one. I think the, the, the reality is what you're talking about can make an HSA program even more valuable for employees to participate in them. It's kind of what I'm hearing you say. I've always said that if, if you allow employers to cover insulin free, allow diabetics to get their annual eye exam for free, people with diabetes and other chronic conditions that you know, get that benefit are going to be lined up around the corner waiting to enroll in an HSA plan. That may be the thing that kept them out of the HSA plan. So you may also, besides improving people's health, you may see a migration to that plan if that's a goal, you know, that an employer has. And, you know, there's no doubt with everything we've been talking about, there's, there's so many different variables as um, we're approaching open enrollment season that there's a tremendous opportunity for carriers and, you know, technology firms to go and help with this decisioning and so that employees can optimize um, their decisions. So, Great dialogue. I'm going to shift a bit here, Paul, though, and talk about just maybe generational differences. And so, for example, if millennials are now uh, the largest generation in the U.S. workforce, have we seen anything change, um, in, whether in benefit plan structures or different uh, benefits that are being offered because of the influence of millennials, as a for instance? We absolutely have seen a change. Uh, every, everyone's still interested in health benefits, and, and even millennials are. And they've been aging just like you know we have been aging. But what we've seen is that millennials are interested in, in help with their student loan debt. And some employers 
have shifted their what would be their match to the student loan, right? To help workers pay down their student loans faster. Uh, and, and certainly once they get that obligation out of the way, then they can really start focusing on saving for retirement. So there's been some flexibility there. Uh, I believe the IRS has given some flexibility to employers and, and there's a whole lot of interest in giving, you know, workers, uh, some flexibility around, you know, student loan benefits and paying down that debt. Thanks, Paul. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot us back um, a bit to telehealth, and you spent a good amount of, of uh, early part of our conversation talking a bit about that. Can you tell us a little bit more? You you gave some examples of of uh, people who can now interact with their own doctor via telehealth versus somebody um, who is not not the primary as as a real uh, benefit. But are there other aspects of telehealth that employers should be keeping their eye on when they're looking at uh, the the uh, benefits of telehealth? Yeah, the telehealth um, space has changed so much in the past, you know, 15 months or so that, that there are some things employers should be keeping their eye out. Uh, now that all of our personal doctors are able to do telemedicine visits, there is a question as to the value of these third-party services. They're going to remain relevant because one of the, one of the things that they provide is access to healthcare providers uh, after hours. Right for urgent care, uh, which helps keep people out of the emergency room and out of the hospital. Uh, but as workers use their own doctor for telemedicine instead of going to the third-party service first, uh, the third-party service may become less important. So, so I think employers need to just think about: is is this contract still relevant? Do I need to rethink this? Is my usage going to go down? What am I going to use this for? Do I have the right network uh, for my third party? Uh, but one of the things to also consider is whether our own doctors are going to change their rates for telemedicine visits. So far, they haven't. They haven't had to. We may see networks start to put pressure on them uh, to, to renegotiate their rates for telemedicine services. And as that happens, the whole space may change in terms of what physicians want to do with their practices and whether they want to carve out a certain number of hours per day just for telemedicine visits and and how that affects their underlying, you know, fixed costs, which also has another effect on, you know, another round of negotiations related to reimbursement rates. So I think there's a lot's going to happen there over the next few years, uh, but employers can get out in front of that by starting to ask those questions now. That is really interesting. And let's stay on uh, that kind of topic of technology uh, within healthcare, and let's actually take it to the employer. When it comes to education, are you seeing anything or hearing anything from companies around supporting employees when it comes to enrolling, enrolling digitally, um, education through technology during uh, open enrollment? Enrolling digitally has been around for a while, and I see that that technology improving by giving people you know, more information, targeted information, uh, tools to narrow down for me the 60 health plans that I have to choose from. So you know, let's say I'm only interested in the HSA plan and I click a button and then I've gone from 60 plans to 20 plans. And those tools, while they've been around, they're, they're getting better each year. The education that I'm interested in that I think is most interesting is providing workers and their families real-time pricing information for healthcare services, right? So one of the biggest issues with healthcare is that you don't know what the cost is going to be until after you've used a healthcare service. And some services you could shop for, but most you can't. 
data is being used to develop apps that give workers that information before they get the healthcare service uh, currently works best for prescription drugs, right? There, there are apps that will tell you what a drug will cost at your preferred pharmacy. It will also list alternative pharmacies, not only with the price of the medication, but with the distance from either your preferred pharmacy or from your home, right? And I think that's great to be able to give people that information at their fingertips. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time before this technology can be used for other things that, that are shoppable, like lab services or even imaging services. Services aren't emergency or urgent in nature where people have a chance to go check the app or check a website. Uh, the other exciting area is wearables and just, you know, digital tools. Uh, whether, you know, everybody seems to have, you know, an iWatch or, you know, a Fitbit. Uh, but you're seeing other types of things like scales, you know, so you could check your weight and the weight syncs with the cloud and that information. That's something everybody could take advantage of. But now you're also starting to see things like, you know, blood pressure monitors that sync and information that, you know, or heart rate sinks and your doctor gets that information and it may trigger an alert uh, where they reach out to you instead of waiting for you to reach out to them. And I think that's a very exciting area that will have some major implications for our health status and the cost of healthcare in the future. Let's stay on on trends. Um, one of the things that we've uh, seen from our own research at Voy is that, uh, and and we've also just heard it in the marketplace, the industry, is that there's tremendous interest in some form of guaranteed income from 401k savings plan. And some are surprised by by the increased um, interest in that, but you know others think that that's sort of obvious. Do you have any thoughts on why this uh, topic is rising to the top of the list? Yeah, I, I'm not surprised by it, but but you know after being in this field for you know 28 years, nothing surprises me. And I think after you know being in this field for so long, I like a lot of other workers are only going to retire with a 401k plan, uh, and we're now seeing this generation of workers retiring with only a 401k plan. They no longer have a defined benefit plan. So I, I think the interest in, in guaranteed income and annuities is because workers want that safety of, of a guaranteed income stream. They want to be able, they want to know what they will have in retirement, uh, not just this fixed pot of money that they could draw down from, but what kind of income that that pot of money will generate from them so they can make adjustments to their spending habits in retirement and, and, and live comfortably at that point. And that's a great point. And, and uh, Bill, didn't you see a recent stat uh, around how uh, Americans may or may not be kind of anticipating uh, medical costs into retirement? Yeah, well, it, it is interesting. And as we think about these savings buckets, and so one of the things you start talk about guaranteed income, well, that's probably coming from your one bucket that you would have the 401k plan, but there really is another one. And that's today, the um, expected healthcare, out-of-pocket healthcare costs while you're in retirement today is $300,000. So in a sense, you'd almost say, well, gosh, I need to go save that probably somewhere else, like in an HSA, because I didn't want that to affect my 401k because I'm living off of that. And the reason that this probably would be a surprise to many of our listeners is that 53% of Americans believe that Medicare Part B is free. So over half of people think that, well, once I'm in retirement, there are really no out-of-pocket costs. Well, no, the number's 300,000 and have you saved appropriately? And so that's why I'm glad, Paul, you said that this, this um, heightening interest in HSA 
And even in HSA as a savings tool, now we know what the target is, and that's on average $300,000, but that's in today's dollars probably rising. These numbers are very scary. <laughs> I know. $300,000 for healthcare and retirement. Uh, half the population doesn't know, you know, doesn't know that Medicare, you know, Part B will cost you something. You know, I think it's important to start saving early, right? Something we've been talking about for a long time. But HSAs can play a role here uh, because of the triple tax advantage. The money goes in tax-free, it builds up tax-free, and it comes out tax-free for qualified medical expenses. The catch is that you have to have a high deductible. And, you know, 20% of the population is probably, you know, not going to be able to save money in their HSA, you know, year after year. But most people don't use a lot of healthcare in any given year and will be able to save money. And you can invest that money for the future. You know, that 300,000 is moving target, right? That's how much you need today. And if you're just opening up an HSA today, you're not going to have $300,000 in it. But it's certainly possible to get there over time. Not all the money for your healthcare has to come from your HSA, right? The HSA, you know, you could simply shift. If, if you're in a fixed income and you can't save any more than you're currently saving, maybe you're in a position to shift some of your contributions from your 401k to your HSA and take advantage of the better tax benefits. You don't want to put any employer match in jeopardy by doing that because that's free money. You know, you, you really need to think about where that next dollar should go. Yeah, Paul. So I, I want to, this has been really a fantastic conversation. And I, I know that our listeners are getting just some really valuable pointers. So I'm going to see, um, let's wrap up the conversation with one final question for you. Um, what are some of the things that companies might not be thinking about that should be? Perhaps the thing that, that they really should be thinking about right now is more of an HR issue than, than you know, more general than specific to benefits which is how does the labor market react when workers are required to return to the office, say, in the fall, if that's going to happen? Are you going to see more voluntary job turnover? And then what role does benefits play in, in keeping workers or recruiting them if you are in a position where you do have turnover? Uh, I think that's something you have to think about. They may have to raise pay. They may have to improve benefits, but that's going to come up quickly. And I know employers are starting to think about this, right? They're starting to think about, you know, how do we bring people back or do we bring people back? And there's going to be different implications depending upon where you are in the country, what industry you're in, what the job market looks like locally, and even what the job market looks like uh, nationally, given that, you know, it's for certain jobs, it's very easy to work remotely now. Yeah, you know, Paul, you've just given our audience so much to think about and see if I can kind of recap some of the highlights, right? You talked about the, the rise of telemedicine and how that is, is really changing and being uh, very impactful. You talked about some of the changes that are being made um, to uh, IRS regulations around HSAs that could make HSAs more valuable. And so there's an awful lot on our, um, our um, employers' uh, plates to be thinking about. It has been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Uh, we definitely look forward to having you back and hearing more about some of the, the uh, latest wellness reports you have going on uh, in the market. Thank you for including me on your podcast. Really appreciate being here today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to today's episode. As we're entering open enrollment season, we hope you've heard some ideas here that might be beneficial considerations. And as always, if you want to keep hearing more, remember to go to our show page and hit subscribe to be notified on each new episode. Thank you all so much for coming along in our journey today. Stay well. 
This information is provided by Voya for your education only. Neither Voya nor its representatives offer tax or legal advice. Any opinions expressed within do not necessarily reflect those of the Voya family of companies or its representatives and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Please consult your tax or legal advisor before making a tax-related investment or insurance decision. Products and services offered through the Voya family of companies.